VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to The Ruck. I'm Alex Lowe and this week I'm joined by the Bath and England wing, Joe Thokkenasinger. I'll discuss with Joe his journey from playing alongside his father for the Army Regiment team in Brunei to representing England and going to the World Cup and what's been a challenging and sometimes traumatic few months for him and the family. Joe came roaring onto the international stage in the autumn of 2018 with tries in his first two tests Eddie Jones described him as absolutely devastating and saw his specific mix of pace and power as being key weapons in England's World Cup quest. Things didn't pan out that way. We now know that Joe was managing a long-term knee injury. Bath ruled he wasn't fit to train when he returned from Japan and sent him to see a specialist. The operation was a success, but all the while, Joe's been dealing with a much bigger crisis. His mother has undergone two operations for a brain tumour, while his father's been stranded in Fiji, unable to return to Britain due to complex immigration rules. Joe can discuss for the first time the impact it's had on him and his family, how it put his own injury into perspective, and how he's used the lockdown to find the missing quality he believes will unlock his full potential. Joe, thanks for joining us on The Ruck from what looks to be a very sunny bath. Yeah, it's always been sunny, so... (laughs) <laughs> how are you yeah i'm good thank you i'm quite enjoying lockdown you know i'm trying to find out the positive out of the lockdown and uh try to discover new things about me and trying to find new hobbies yeah well, what, what positives have you found about lockdown and what have you what have you found out <laughs> about yourself i don't know i've just got a lot, a lot of free time well normally as a rugby player you get a lot of free time especially after training but with this going on like you kind of you kind of want to li- you want to just don't want to waste your time in lockdown so i've tried to like listen to podcasts and uh which i don't normally do and just trying to explore the world more. Looking to, I've been looking into that Wim Hof, and I've been watching a lot on like Mike Tyson, and and just trying to pick pick different ideas from players, like and especially like LeBron. And then obviously with that Last Dance documentary yeah. that came out, I've just been literally obsessed with that. Trying to find, I say, as because I did my knee, I didn't have that much motivation at the start, but now like being locked down, it's put things in perspective. It's kind of yeah, made set a little another fire in me to come back has it but it, it's taken sort of seeking inspiration from from other sources to to ignite that that fire again yeah definitely especially watching the last dance it's hard because i i can't i won't be able to like because I, I watch michael jordan and be like oh i want to be like that player but the way he was off the court I, i'm not like that so i think it's trying to find a balance of picking different stuff and just seeing how other players were injured and you know they got back better and that, that kind of inspires me. On, on Tyson, Joe, have you spoken to Ellis Genge? He's a, he's a huge Tyson fan. He, he's got his image on, on his boots. You know, he loves Tyson. You, can, you kind of see the Tyson in him. Um, <laughs> when, I watch, when I've been watching Mike Tyson, I, see, I was like, oh, I see why Genji like, loves this guy. You know, they could be quite similar characters. What was it from him? I mean, I, there are those, uh, those images on social media of him 
back in training and that the speed of the guy is is remarkable, yeah. particularly for his age. I mean, it's always been remarkable, but he doesn't seem to have lost it. But also all, all the other sort of sources that, that you've looked at, what were the what were the, the things you learned that made you think, you know, I'm, I've got my fire back, I'm, I'm keen to play when, when fit? Just them, like, mentality going into into games and the way Mike Tyson's, when he walks into the ring and he's just always looking into the eyes, you know, he know, he pretty much knows when he's won before he's, before he's even got into the ring. Just stuff like that. And, yeah, I think just their mentality and stuff going into game, think knowing that you're very dominate. And I feel like sometimes I've gone into games and I'm, I'm obviously a chill character, so I've... I go into games quite chill, but you know I kind of want to make that step up because I feel like that will just make me a better, better player. And I, like I've always, I've always been taught at a young age from my parents that when I'm on the pitch, it's not like not being arrogant, but telling you in your head that you're the best player on that pitch. Like just keep telling yourself you're the best player on that pitch. No one's going to stop you. But then like, off the pitch, you just like you go and respect. You, you respect them. You, obviously, you respect them on pitch as well. But that's the main thing I've always carried on as my child. Like you just telling yourself you're the best player on the pitch, going onto the pitch. And I felt that I've always worked. But obviously, not like trying not to be arrogant. But just I think it helps a lot if you keep telling yourself like you're back, you're backing yourself. And yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone who's, who's played at the level you, you're at can can get there without that kind of sense of, of mental fortitude and, and self-belief, can they? I mean, I don't think people would think it's arrogant for you to step on the field and and know that you have to back yourself the whole way. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just interesting to talk to you about that isn't necessarily your character off yeah. the field and, and whether you're comfortable. Are you comfortable in your on-field persona? Are you learning to be comfortable in it? And I know you do a lot of work that you have done off the field with psychologists about convince yourself you can be the game changer and is that the kind of the work in progress that you're talking about yeah definitely I think that's something I've always uh, I feel like that's something I'm missing because ever since the World Cup and the whole season before that I've, I've still felt like there was something missing in my in my game plan and I couldn't think what it was and you know and Anthony put me in touch with a psychologist that he uses Don McPherson and the way I saw Ant come back from his injury being so much better than he was before and even day in day out of training, you can tell it's got a huge. There's a huge difference, and I feel like that was the thing I was missing a lot. Was like my mental, my mental skills, and I feel like that's the one thing I need to get. You know, because I feel like I'm, I still haven't shown everyone what I can do. I've still got a lot more in me, and I've always, when it came to like mental stuff, I've always like, oh yeah, that's interesting, but like, kind of pass it on. And but now, like obviously with lockdown and stuff happening, it's made me think that that's the one thing that's been missing, and. It's something I want to be a master at. So have you been in touch with Dom McPherson through this the last couple of months? Yeah, yeah. So we worked as soon as I got injured, and um, you know he's he's really like the stuff he does is just you know, world class. And yeah, and obviously I'd thank like thank Ant for putting putting him in touch with me because that was like that was the the blessing I needed. So we should say at this point the injury you referred to is, is a knee a knee injury and. You you picked up a, a, a correct me if I'm wrong with this chronology, but I think you you had an issue from the last World Cup warm up game in Newcastle. I remember seeing you out in in uh, Japan through the World Cup, always with with a black brace around your knee. You, you played against the USA. You trained all the way through. We were told that you were you were available. I remember watching you training in the week of the semi final and 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 final. But you haven't played since. You came home and, and Bath were telling us that. Uh, actually, the situation was really quite complicated, and, and you needed to go and see some 
some world leading specialists to just get a, a proper handle on the situation. Can you tell us what was wrong and, and, and what you've learned and, and really what the kind of prognosis is going forward? Yeah, so I had a split in my tendon, my knee tendon. I think it's something that I've always had before and I've always like just managed it. And then it just got worse and worse. And the thing with me, like I could I could carry on. So I I didn't feel any different. But I think after the World Cup we kind of decided that I think it's time to like just get a check, you know, there's no rush for any games now and so got it scanned and shown that they just split in it. So we went to see our different specialists around London and was just they were trying to get their different takes on it and uh, we had uh, a specialist that a surgeon that Jack Knoll the same guy that did Jack Knoll he had the same injury as well and we looked for he said well if you need the op but it's better to try and rehab it so we tried rehabbing it for a bit and it just wasn't getting any better which was obviously like for me like mentally just tiring because I spent pretty much the whole pre-season of the World Cup trying to get my knee in good, good shape and then to come back and then try and do that again it was just for me it was just mentally tiring and not seeing it get better so we kind of decided I think it was time to get the up on it and I flew to Sweden I, can't, I remember like afterwards like I was in the hotel next door after the up and I was like oh, that's a big weight off my shoulders now like mentally knowing that it's fixed so from then on I've just been rehabbing it and how, how long will it be till you're ready to play do you think it's hard to tell because with the lockdown and stuff it bit delays and stuff so yeah. it's we're not really sure on when I'm back and stuff, but the good thing I'm trying to pick from it is that, you know, I'm finally squatting now and I haven't been able to squat in two years with weight, with like a lot of weight in my back. So I know I'm going in, a good, in, a, in the right direction. I, I can sense the, that sense of relief, I suppose, in that hotel room when, you know, I was reading a piece from a colleague of mine who came to talk to you down in Bath after the, the Japan and Australia games 2018 after you'd made uh, your debut and scored those two tries and you said then you, you hadn't squatted you didn't squat because of your knees yeah. so to, to be able to to do something now you know you, you played test rugby you went to a world cup to now be able to to do things you couldn't do before after that operation must I can it must be a real relief because you know, perhaps the future looks a bit brighter than than perhaps it might have done yeah definitely I think when I first did the squat, I was like, oh my God, I can't. I've, I've never done that before. The last time I did it was like uh, London Irish Academy. So just doing that and uh, knowing that everything's slowly falling into places, I'm like, but it kind of puts things in perspective. And um, yeah, and, and obviously this lockdown, obviously it's really bad. I was saying this before, it's, it's really bad, obviously, what was happening. But I think for me, it's kind of been a blessing in disguise. Um, obviously, I wouldn't want like all the stuff to happen, but it's given me time to not rush back for anything and not rush back for matches and just kind of love my knee a bit more. You've got to use that time properly. Yeah. It? And it sounds like maybe at the, at the start you were sort of struggling a bit with it, but you found, you found the positive from it, like, like we were discussing yeah. earlier. Were you able to enjoy the World Cup then? If you were managing that knee the whole way and we, we kept being told you were in contention to play, you, as I say, you played against the USA, but I don't know, watching you in training... You didn't look all that comfortable at times. You had that brace. And were you able to enjoy the experience of it if you were constantly managing a knee and desperately trying to play? Yeah, I, I definitely. I, like, I, looking back, I love the World Cup and I, I missed it. And, um, you know, when you're there, you're like, oh, you, you're, like, you're missing home and stuff. And it's weird. As soon as you come back, you're like, damn, I miss I miss more about being with like, the boys. I think we, everyone said that a lot, especially at the last two days. I remember uh, leaving Heathrow 
after the World Cup when I felt a bit lost because I was like, I don't know what to do now. I spent all this time trying to prep for the World Cup and being in that whole bubble of the World Cup, you, and you left, you're like, oh, you didn't know what to do. But um, no, I loved it. Like I, obviously with my knee, I had just had to change how I prepped and it kind of made me more professional how I looked after it. And, you know, I have to ride training early with other boys that had stuff like that and we had just took long for us to warm up and, and I quite enjoyed it because it made me more professional and it kind of like matured me more and because um, normally I'd yeah so because like normally before so there'll be sometimes not, not with England but like four with Irish and you know sometimes Bath I'd sometimes you'd barely warm up and you just go and you just back yourself but like looking back at it like, now we take more of a professional step to it and now I just take my time warming up and then and I'm ready already. The journey that, that you've had, and, and I think you, you sort of touched on earlier, it, it's there are lots of it, it came easily. I think as you've just sort of touched on there, you're a big guy, took up rugby fairly late, you went a long way fairly <laughs> easily. I don't, I don't think that's unfair in yeah. saying it. Um, and, and what you're now facing, it sounds like, are, are the physical and mental challenges of kind of being still, still a very young professional playing in, 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 in the, you know, the highest level of the game. And, and those are the things that you're having to, to learn fairly late on, perhaps. Yeah, I definitely. I think it's all catching up. I'd say that everything happened so easily, but I don't. I don't want to say easily, but everything. Say, I think I was. I think what, like, everything came so quick for me. I didn't have time to like think. Oh, I've just been doing this, as in being doing that has got me to this. Now looking back of it, because everything happened so quick, I didn't have time to try and discover new things, and and now it's all catching up to me. And we're like, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still very young, so I still, still got a lot of time to like learn and pick up new things. So, so let's have a look. Let's go back on that that journey. You, you've talked before about growing up on on the army base in Germany and, and playing football to start with. Was that your first? Did you think you were going to be a footballer at that point? Was that your first sort of introduction to sport? I'm su- I'm surprised your dad, a Gian soldier, lover of rugby himself, didn't make you grow up with a rugby ball in your hands at all at all times. No, I think as soon as we said, I think they just wanted us out of the house. So whatever it was, what we were doing, they just me and my brother were little, little brats. No, because we lived in the army base in Germany, so everything was it was football, and so we'd have it training every. I remember it was Monday, Thursday, and I remember after schools, you'd always you always bring your kit with you to school and just chuck it in your bag, and you just cycle there, and like we played, and I, I still like the school, the kids I went to school with, and some of the, my mates that I. In Germany, like they're still still one of my good mates here, and just remember, all, just, all I can remember is just us cycling there and just playing football every weekend against other German teams. Even played against Bruce and Montreal Gladbach girls. How did that go for you? I think it was a six-one to us. Did um, you score that game, Joe? Yeah, I did, but I don't want to say how it scored. <laughs> a lot of people will be messaging me now saying that, saying that's a lie. Was but. it? Was it a long distance? Yeah. Was it from the halfway line? It was supposed to be a clearing, and <laughs> I say just above the halfway. But but like, I remember I'd always be aggressive. I played centre back, and I'd always be aggressive, and you know I'd always use my my size as as one of the my weapons. And I think everyone kind of knew when I became a role player. I, I always see they always said, "Oh, when I saw you play football, we knew you'd somehow be a role player." But I think the re- main reason why we didn't play rugby was because. You'd have uh, mini rhinos on a Sunday, and the Sundays when everyone go, when all the Fijians go to church, you got, and it's it's always been a thing you can't play on Sundays. It's the laws they arrest. So, I think that's the main reason why we we kind of missed out on the rugby. You end up playing for your school, which you do into tournaments with, which is once every term. But I think the main reason why we didn't play rugby 
week in, week out was because it was on a Sunday. How have you reconciled that with yourself now playing matches on Sunday? It's my job now, so, so yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of have to. Your family moved to, to Brunei and I think that's where you took up rugby, would I be right? Yeah, yeah, which like surprised me a lot because they don't even know Brunei is a country. But that's because there's such a big Australian, New Zealand influence on it because of like the oil and Aussies and Kiwis coming over to work there because of the oil. There's always they do touches every they do um, they play touch every I'm sure like every Thursday or every Tuesday. And we never really knew about that until one of the other Fijian families were there and like, oh come we will play touch. So we'd go as a family like me, my mum. My dad, my sister, my brother, we'll go play touch by the beach. And you'd have, like, you'd have like a nice rugby pitch just by the beach and you'd have snake skin just all ratted around the pitches because there's loads of snakes in Brunei. But we'd always play touch there and then there's a tournament they did in Brunei with just the, I think there's like four teams and they'll just do round robin and they asked if we wanted to play. And my dad got, my dad joined and then I remember I got asked to play and I played, I played with him and that would pretty much be our weekends, our two years in Brunei, that would be our weekends, just playing rugby for Panda Pythons. So you'd just play for them and that, that was literally my whole, my Saturday night for two years in Brunei. I, I then, spoke to an old coach of yours, Hansi Hickey, who you were playing a couple of years above yourself, just looking here, he said every time he touched the ball, he was steamrolling people. He showed no fear. I remember we had some team drills of relay races and he ended up carrying me I must have been yeah. about 120 kg. Yeah, <laughs> um, we did. I remember that day because it was a 7th tournament, and we were supposed to. We were, fl- we were f- the next day. We we're flying to Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia. It was my first proper rugby tournament, and and you were 15 at this point, roughly. Yeah, 15, yeah. 16, and we did drills where you would carry the thing, and no one wanted to take me, so I had to take Hansi. <laughs> um, so I carried Hansi on my back, and he did the same, and. Um, there's a picture of it somewhere, I think. Yeah, and that was my first proper seventh tournament. And I think we, yeah, I think we lost. I'm not sure, but we didn't make it to the finals. But yeah, I'd never, I, I used to love those tournaments, just going away to like Kuala Lumpur. And looking back at it, you don't realise how big rugby is in Malaysia. Everyone's wearing an all black jersey. Even I was wearing an all black jersey. Yeah, and you just looking back at it, I wish I did more. More of what? More of playing at that, at that age? Uh, yeah, more of like exposing myself. But then again, I still played a lot of rugby and I played a lot of club rugby with my dad, with the regiment and with the club. And I played for, I think, Brunei on the 16s as well. I was the only foreign kid there, so it was just... Uh... <laughs> Your dad, so I spoke to him for uh, a long time last year, actually, and I'm just looking back on some of the things he was telling me then. Uh, about the day that you first played together. Tell us what you remember about that. He, your dad was a, a number eight, a monster number eight, Hansi described him as. But that day, he, he insisted on playing alongside you in midfield. Yeah. I think because he was just a bit overprotective, so <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want me to, someone to come running at me. Then, But I remember he, he'd do all the hard work. And I remember someone running straight at me. My dad like popped out the line and just smacked him. Ball came out and I scored, like I got in and scored. And I always remember about my mum and my sister on the side. Like, my mum always said, Whatever you do, Joe gets hurt, you're not playing rugby again. So, my dad. Um, <laughs> so, he was, yeah. Yeah, he was in full on protection mode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He said, That was so special to be able to play with Joe. I couldn't believe he was playing with me. Only a year earlier, he was playing football. Then your dad signed you up for the regimental team, uh, in which he, he had to sign a disclaimer form to let you play, even though you weren't old enough to play. I think you were then yeah. 16. 
17. Yeah. Now, you're, now you're playing against soldiers and you're still dominating. He was in that regiment, but they were doing other tournaments against other teams in Brunei as well. So it wasn't just the army, it was like other teams in Brunei. And I got asked from another team that our club is a part of. But I was going to play for them. My dad didn't want to go against me because of <laughs> You don't tap your son, do you? Uh, he mentioned to the regiment guy, he's like, I want my son to play. And he was like, they were like, no. And he's like, okay, then I'm not going to play then. I'm going to go play for the other team. And they were like, no, 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 no. You can come. You can come. <laughs> Bring your son as well. And yeah, I remember the first game, I didn't go on at all. And I remember like watching it, my dad kept looking back at the bench, being like, why is, my, why is he not putting me on? Like, why are you not putting me on? I think he kept kind of feeling sorry for me. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I think the next after that he came so like, why are you not putting some benches on blah, blah, blah. I think the next game he kind of pretended he was injured so put me back on yeah we ended up winning it and I think I scored the last try to win it that was our partnership from then on that must, that's pretty special isn't it to be able to, yeah. to do that with your dad yeah and it wasn't just with my dad it was like my uncles there as well that were that are living in Brunei and you know playing against them and um, yeah I remember one of my uncles that we grew up with he, he came over to Brunei because my parents were like, involved in a car crash. So my dad couldn't play. I remember playing against him and I was like, this guy used to change my nappies and I'm playing with him. <laughs> but yeah, I, that, that was good fun. And I remember the day where my dad got like a, my parent, my mum, my dad and my sister got in a big car accident and it landed on the back of the back of a car and it dented his head and it made like a big scar for his head. And I think I had an op- operation to seal it up and then, I think two weeks later you're playing rugby again. So um, no I guess is that the soldier and the rugby player in him? I'm not, I'm not going to be confused yeah. by this. I'm getting back on the rugby field. Yeah, uh, pretty much on the foam as well. Like not. <laughs> so when did that that kind of wonderful sort of adventure in, in in Brunei and playing with your dad come to an end? Was it when you you then moved as a family to to England? Yeah, so we moved back to the UK uh, to Watford, and that kind of just finished up and um, I remember we, we were saying like let's try and get an academy so my dad knew um, Akapusingera quite close to him because they I remember Jeremy we spent a lot of time in Plymouth because that was where my dad's brother was at because he was in the Navy so, and that was where Ngera his and wife Ngera, was the, the former Fiji captain yeah say. his wife was living as well my dad would always drink carver with him and like they became quite close. So in Brunei, we sent him like a message saying, and here's like a, a little short clip of Joe Play and there's any chance he can get into Harpery. So that went on, it went on for a while. And then I think I was 16. Yeah, I must have been yeah, 16. And I couldn't get into Harpery. Oh, so someone else was too young or something. Something like that. I remember going to his house and he was meeting and his agent or someone he knew, Billy Clark, who's my agent now, knew Gerald, was quite close to Gerald. I was like, oh, look, if he's in London, told Billy, he's, like, look, he's in London. Why you come? It makes sense for him to join a London club. So he's like, he probably said, "Is Virginian kid." I think Billy can explain more on it. Is that his Virginian kid can come for a trial? So I remember I had a trial for London Irish, and I was just absolutely breaking it because <laughs> I'm going in for a trial, and it, the team were training up for like their semi-final, the final at Allianz Park, the academy. And I went in, did like a session with them, and I think Billy said, that as soon as he saw my thighs, he's like, "Yeah, he's in." As you're listening to me. Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is The Ruck, and I'm talking with Joe Thocken-Singer, who received his first England call-up for the 2017 Tour of Argentina after Eddie Jones had spotted his international potential as a 19-year-old playing in the Championship. You've spoken a lot about that, that England tour. You were taken as a, as a rookie, really for, for development, so Eddie could, could start working with you. He could see you, your potential. If kind of moving to, to London Irish Academy was, was eye-opening for you, with the pace of the game and all that kind of that experience, I mean, you talk about life changing. That that was a sort of sink or swim, wasn't it? That that trip. Yeah, yeah. I, I it literally, I had one of the biggest shocks of my life because I didn't realise how detailed it was and how hard you have to train and just everything. Everything's detailed and like you always have to be 100 percent into everything. And when you're playing for England, so you're gonna have to. It's not surprising. So I remember after the tour being like, I think I was too immature for it, but Eddie kind of knew what he was doing. Just give me that experience. After that tour, I, I knew what I had. I had to do. I kind of had to grow up a little bit, and you know, I, need, I had to work for my work for my sport. And even though if I'm starting, I've got to keep working and always try and get better. You wouldn't have expected you to be the finished article at 18. And, and do you think that taking you was the lesson it, 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 he and the people around you, whether it was you know, John Fletcher and those guys, knew that if you had your eyes open to it. it it would, it would be the, the best lesson for you. I don't think you would have picked to play necessarily, but it was yeah. part of your development. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think I was taken to, you know, experience and like, yeah, so I think that's, that kind of helped me a lot. Because then after that, I knew what I had to do and what I couldn't, what I had to, you know, throw in the bin. It was about a year later, autumn of 2018 was the test you came, which wasn't, I understand, the first time you'd, you'd been at Twickenham for a, for a big event, I went. I went for the World Cup 2015, and yeah, because my sister worked for the embassy, and they needed some dancers. So my rig was all right. My rig was all right then. So I was like, you know, what, I just might as well show it off. But yeah, we did like a dance between before the opening game against Fiji, and, and then from then on, we went to the park at near Richmond and kind of watched on the big screen in my like still in my grass skirt and uh, traditional clothing. And yeah, so that from then on, but I'd never think that you know a couple more years I'd I'd be playing there. So yeah, it's just weird how things happen. Yeah, so 2015, you're outside the, the main gates at Twickenham performing yeah. the traditional Fijian <laughs> dance to, to rugby fans streaming in for the opening game of the World Cup. Two years on from that, you're on an England tour. Three years on from that, you're making your debut against Japan at Twickenham. I mean, that, that, is, some, that is some speedy ascent. Yeah, I was actually watching that game back yesterday the whole Japan game and more because I, I, I wanted to start watching more rugby again but now I wanted to get that feeling back just 
I just I watched the whole game. And I just just that whole feeling of that whole week, and I'd been to Twickenham before before that South Africa was the South Africa, yeah South Africa game as a travel reserve, and I remember saying that uh, I remember Eddie coming up to me and saying next week's going to be your tournament mate, just before the South Africa game, and I remember thinking, oh god, I was like, oh no, well, not 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 like oh no, but. Like, oh my God, this is actually happening. But then, because the week went on, you kind of forget about it because you don't think it's real. But then the Monday going in, you're doing these bibs and you're like, oh, I'm actually start, I'm gonna start this game. Yeah, just that whole week of prepping, going, moving hotels, then driving to Twickenham. I think if there's a game that like I wanted to relive again, I think it could be that Japan game because it's just of that feeling that I had. And um, yeah. So when you reached the end of it yesterday, what emotions did it bring back? Just like excitement, a lot of excitement. Like because I haven't felt that for a while. I haven't played in ages. I haven't played since November. So like just excitement of like preparing for a game and yeah, just, it just I don't know. It just made me, it just made me really excited. And when you watched it, did you watch yourself? Were you following yourself through it, or were you just watching it for for the game and for the experience of of sort of rekindling those memories? Uh, a bit of both. I, I like I watched the whole game, but like when it came to me, I'd, the things I did, I'd, I'd always like keep replaying it and just seeing could I've done this better, or just seeing what trying to think what was going through my head at that time. Yeah, I think just trying to relive the whole the whole moment. Because it was yeah. a tough first half for England that day. I think you were, yeah. I think you were losing it at the interval. I think. Yeah, it was close. Or if yeah, yeah. It was either we were losing or it was close. But I remember going into half like that game of rugby was very quick. I think that the the, the ball speed and I was blowing and then like, that kind of shocked me because like that's how international play, teams play now and then second half I think we kind of got a kick up our ass and came back and then you, you kept your place for the following week and, and earlier in this conversation you talked about that moment put maybe your favourite moment on the field when, you, when you're running you have a bit of a run up with a ball in hand and you feel like you can dominate yeah. from memory that, that's exactly what happened for the try you score, you, you kind of run into Hayley Petty, yeah. was it? You know, he goes flying off your off your thigh, yeah. and, and you're and you're away. And if if Japan was what you're looking back as a as an experience, is that as a moment? Would that would that be your favourite uh, moment so far? Yeah, definitely. Or there's there's a it could be it could be like that try, but there's a moment where the NR22 they whip a ball, someone whips a ball over to side Johnny May's wing. Is when the one where he kicked it. It bounced on the line, he kicked it again and he scored it, but it wasn't a try. You could see on the footage, like I'm right next to him, and I, I remember like just looking up, I could hear like everyone just stand up from their crowd, step from their seats, and just be like just shouting and stuff. And when I ran from there, like something just switched into me, like just went, I was in a different type of mode, and I just wouldn't stop running. Um, and then seeing Johnny score that, I just, I was just, just so happy, and yeah, so like, I think that's that could be one of the moments, but and th- those are the kind of moments that you're spending time now. Just working to recapture, just to 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 fuel the fire, I guess, for for whenever yeah. you can get get back out there again. Yeah, there's times where, like, I look back on my tries and or something I've done well, and or like I think even watching me run like quick, even if it's a chase or, or even the ball in hand, it it kind of yeah, it kind of excites me and be like I want to, you know, as, as Don always says, like you can change change the brain chemicals in your head to increase the speed of your rehab, like just making myself excited again and yeah. It's been a challenging period for you, not just physically with, with your knee, but you've had you've had a lot a lot on your plate personally and as a family. For anyone who doesn't know, Joe's father, Iliatia, is that how the best way to pronounce yeah. it? Iliatia uh, couldn't come to the World Cup 
to watch you because there are issues over his immigration status, despite the fact he served three tours with the, with the British Army. But he did go back to Fiji for his sister's wedding and he's still there and was unable to, to come home when you, your mum went through two operations for, for brain tumours. Just how tough has that been for, for you personally and, and for the family? I, I can't imagine how frustrated and, and disappointed your, your father is being out there a, not being able to come back, having served in, for the country in, in, on three tours, I think one in Iraq, two in Afghanistan, but also, you know, not being able to, to be there for your mum. Just how, how hard has it been for, for you and, and, and for the family, just, just dealing with all those things on top of injury and that kind of stuff? Especially at the start, I think it was really hard. You know, I was trying to deal with my knee and then given that news that my mum had to have operations and she was told she had a brain tumour. It was it was hard it's hard for us as a family but it kind of you know I I remember we all sat down and like we prayed and stuff and we kind of thought so it was before so my mum got the news about her her brain tumor before we went to Fiji and we kind of we kind of thought you know when times are tough we were always because we're my pet we're, we're religious when times are tough we were praying and you know always yeah we'd always be praying and always be giving like giving thanks to the Lord and. And then when times were going well, we kind of forgot about what got us there. We we kind of thought that was a that was a kick up of our ass of you know time, you know we need to slow down in our lives. We're going too quick. We're not. So that's something we kind of thought about. And then obviously with the dad, my, my dad thing happened after we it kind of made us stronger together because we had to care for my mum more. You know sometimes at training I'd have to I'd leave. I wouldn't come in for two two days a week. I'd, I'd come in Monday, Tuesday, and miss Wednesday, Thursday, Friday just to be at home. You know, mum had like panic attacks because the medication she was taking. So I'd, all, I'd always be there with my brother and sister. So it was quite hard, you know, going on, doing that week in, week out, trying to deal with my knee and then, you know, having to miss three days and then go back home. And, you know, that was pretty much my life. That was like my, yeah, that was my life for a couple of, with two months and we find it quite hard as a family but I think it's definitely made us stronger and it's like looking back like at that time I didn't, I didn't give a I, don't know if I swear I didn't give a about my knee because it put things in perspective and like you know what there's, there's worse things happening to it like other people and but then it, it then it kind of gave me a, a kick up my arse saying you know what I'm on rehab now get better and you know play for my mum play for my parents so Obviously, it's really hard, and something in the future I want to I want to start looking into about Commonwealth stuff, and I kind of want to make it easier for not only Fijian soldiers but Commonwealth soldiers, you know, for, for them easier to transition into civilian life and make it easier for for them to become a British citizen without paying, you know, a certain amount of money. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of thought it was, it was an eye opener for me, and we weren't. Yes, when it, when we released on the gut, we weren't really too sure because we're quite a private family. Don't like our things being out there. So, but then we kind of decided, you know, if, if it's, it's not only going to help us, it's going to help other people. So we definitely think, uh, yeah, we think it's a bit of a blessing, and it's something that we can look back on and say that we can definitely use it as a positive thing. Um, I mean, it, it generated, and yours wasn't the only story. There have been stories recently of Fijian soldiers not having the, the same rights. I think um, Dan Leo who runs a the players' union, I guess, representing players of Pacific um, origin, helped raise a lot of money for, for a Fijian soldier who was, had a huge medical bill to, to pay. That whole effort did garner a lot of public support. Can I just ask, how is your mum now? Yeah, she's, she's well. We found out it, 
she she had a first op operation and she was obviously it was hard for her because we couldn't go to hospital because of COVID and stuff. So she spent three three days at hospital and had an operation. All good, but then there was a leak, and they wanted another look at it. So she had another operation, had a scan afterwards. You know, and she got the good news that it was a it wasn't a cancer, uh, just a brain tumor. So she'll need a, a final op in July, but. You know she's she's much better now, and um, things are getting better. Um, is your dad bearing up okay? Yeah, yeah, he's doing well. Um, you know, he's in Fiji, so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I mean maybe even bringing the sort of the conversation full circle to just understanding yourself a bit and what you talked about there—that just slowing down and realizing everything's going too fast—it feels like that's a kind of almost a, a culture clash between the way that life is in in England, a million miles an hour, and the Fijian way of life, which is. A lot slower. Yeah, I remember Nicky Little once saying at the 2007 World Cup, he said in Fiji we're either sitting under the coconut tree or, or rowing the boat. But most yeah. of the time, I like to sit under the coconut tree. You know, that that was just yeah. a lovely image. You know, how how do you view your sort of Anglo-Fijian identity? You know, you you you're fiercely passionate about your Fijian background, as you you know discussed meeting the Queen and representing the the embassy and such like. Is that one of the areas where you're you're trying to marry two different ways of life. Yeah, like I, you know, I always get, I always get called from my grandma's um, saying, you know, just to always, <laughs> always trying to keep me humble and um, just always, just, just remind me of where I'm from. And I think definitely check, going back in Fiji in December after I haven't been there for a long time and I haven't been there since the all the England stuff and you know all my rugby career. And I went back and looked back and went, yeah, this is where I'm from. Like going back to our house and like driving past our village, you meet all your family members. You're like, yeah, this is like this is where I'm from. But yeah, I don't know. It's quite. I don't know explain it, but I'm, I think I, I think I keep it well balanced. You know, it's a fascinating part of of you as a as a person and as a player because we we see the Fijian element in in a lot of what you do. You know, you like to keep the ball alive, play one handed, you know, which, which is a natural you know, a natural trait of a Fijian rugby player. But you're living up here and you're doing it with England and you've been here for, for so long and there are just two interesting elements of, of you as a person all, all coming together and making making Joe the Joe the player that's helped me a lot with my skills going into games that you know just you've got that Fijian flair and you so they don't hide it away in your locker when you're free from from home and having to cut your own hair as you were telling me about earlier yeah you'll be uh, you'll be more fired up than ever to go and, and, and just yeah. do that down, yeah. down at the wreck or or um, or at Twickenham if um, if yeah. and when these games get back on. I keep telling my girlfriend like I'm I'm ready to go, but you know I need to stop rowing the boat and sit under the coconut tree a bit more. <laughs>